everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Pillow Talk with Mark and Beat, the podcast where we just talk. I'm B, and I'm here with Marcus. Hey, yeah, and uh, we've got a lot of good feedback about the screw tape letters because we've had multiple guests want to join us reading it. So we got another guest joining us today. Gerald, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Um, are you going to be gracing us with some accents today? If thou wilt. Yeah, like a nice guttural demon accent like the real trouble about the set and patient i can't do it. <laughs> maybe maybe think of like macho man randy savage and do his no voice. who's that talk show guy the conspiracy guy oh, Alex Jones. <laughs> let's chat well, i mean i could i can do the Randall. i can i can try the randall savage one. Oh yeah brother oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. my dear wormwood <laughs> okay <laughs> cool so we're doing this is why i grabbed a ton of water (laughs) no i love this so we are doing chapters 25 26 and 27 today um and i guess we can just kind of jump into it my dear wormwood the real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it is merely christian they all have individual interests of course but the bond remains mere christianity what if we well what we want if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and, you know, Christianity Christianity and the crisis, Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing, Christianity and psychical research, (laughs) Uh, Christianity and vegetarianism. Ooh, good Uh one. (laughs) christianity and spelling reform if they must be christians let them at least be christians with a difference substitute for faith itself some fashion with a christian color work on the horror of the same old thing the horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart an endless source of heresies in religion folly in counsel infidelity in marriage and consistency in an inconsistency in friendship the humans live in time and in experience reality successively. Six, yeah. The, to experience much of it, therefore, they must experience many different things. In other words, they must experience change. And since they need change, the enemy, being a hedonist at heart, has made change pleasurable to them, just as he has made eating pleasurable. But since he does not wish them to make change any more than eating, an end in itself, He has balanced the love of change in them by a love of permanence. He has contrived to gratify both tastes together in the very world he has made by that union of change and permanence, which we call rhythm. He gives them seasons, each season different, yet each year the same, so that spring is always felt as a novelty, yet always as reoccurrence of the immemorable theme. He gives them in his church a spiritual year they change from fast to feast but it is the same feast as before now just as we pick out and exaggerate the pleasure of eating to produce gluttony so we pick out this natural pleasantness of change and twist it into a demand for absolute novelty this demand is entirely our workmanship if we neglect our duty men will not be only contented by trans but transported by the mixed novelty of the familiarity of snowdrops this January, sunrise this morning, plum pudding this Christmas. Children, until we have taught them better, will be perfectly happy with a seasonal round of games in which conquerors succeed hopscotch as regularly as autumn follows summer. Only by our incessant efforts is the demand for our infinite or unrhythmical change kept up. This demand is valuable in various ways. In the first place, it diminishes pleasure while increasing desire. The pleasure of novelty is, by its very nature, more subject than any other to the law of diminishing returns. And continued novelty costs money, so that the desire for it spells avarice or unhappiness or both. And again, the more rapacious this desire, the sooner it must eat up all of the innocent sources of pleasure and pass on to those the enemy forbids thus by inflaming the horror of the same old thing we have recently made the arts for example less dangerous to us than perhaps they have ever been lowbrow and highbrow artists alike now 
oh, being now daily drawn into fresh and still fresh excesses of lavishness, unreason, cruelty, and pride. Finally, the desire for novelty is indispensable if we are to produce fashions or vogues. The use of fashions in thought is to distract the attention of men from their real dangers. We direct the fashionable outcry of each generation against those vices of which it is least in danger and fix its approval on the virtue nearest to that vice, which we are trying to make an endemic. The game is to have them all running about with fire extinguishers whenever there is a flood and all crowding to that side of the boat, which has already gone whale underwater. Thus, we make it fashionable to expose the dangers of enthusiasm, but at the very moment when they are all really becoming worldly and lukewarm, a century later, when we are really making them all Byronic and drunk with emotion, the fashionable outcry is directed against the dangers of the mere understanding. Cruel ages are put on their guard against sentimentality, feckless and idle ones against respectability. Leacherous ones against pure puritanism, puritanism. And whenever all men are really hastening to be slaves or tyrants, we make liberalism the prime bogey. By the greatest triumph, but the greatest triumph at all <clears throat> is to elevate the horror of the same old thing into a philosophy, so that the nonsense in the intellect may reinforce corruption in the will. It is here that the general evolutionary or historical character of modern Europe thought, partly our work, comes in so useful. The enemy loves platitudes. Of a proposed course of action, he wants men, so far I can see, to ask very simple questions. Is it righteous? Is it prudent? Is it possible? Now, if we can keep asking, if we can keep men asking, is it in accordance with the general movement of our time? Is it progressive or reactionary? Is this the way that history is going? They will neglect the relevant questions. And the questions they do ask are, of course, unanswerable. For they do not know the future, and what the future will be depends very largely on just the choices that they now invoke the future to help them make. As a result, while their minds are buzzing in this vacuum, we have a better chance to slip in and bend them to the action we have decided on. And great work has already been done. Once they knew that some changes were for the better and others for the worse, and others again indifferent, we have largely removed this knowledge for the descriptive adjective unchanged when we have substituted the emotional adjective stagnant, when we have trained them to think that the future as a promised land which favored heroes attain, not as something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. Whenever he does, whoever he is, your affectionate uncle Skirte. Hmm. Wow, let's talk about All the right. vegetarianism. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's what kind of jumped out to me most is um, in today's day and age, there are so many different uh, brands of Christianity, and I've kind of complained about this before, where it's like, well, if you guys can't even get on the same page, you can't expect me to get on the same page. Um, and it's like, how different are these religions really? Like, <clears throat> I could kind of sum up Christianity with kind of two core tenets. The first one being like, uh, you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to kind of confess your sin to him. And then that's how you gain redemption and salvation and stuff. Uh, the other tenet would be the Ten Commandments, you know, but that one's kind of like, um a side tangent almost you know like it it's good to abide by but i don't know how much it will affect your overall salvation you know where not accepting jesus would would affect your salvation um so kind of just when you're looking at all the different uh denominations of christianity maybe maybe look at those two tenets you know and see do they abide by these cuz everything else could kind of just be interpretation or just kind of whatever um like is there free will or is there uh, uh, predestination? You know, like who's to say? But as long as you're admitting that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're fine. Yeah, I feel like, well, I got kind of two things out of it. One was like people get caught up in the terms of it. Like, like I'm Christianity, but I also focus on faith healing. And then there's a psych cycle, psychical 
research and then vegetarian and then spelling reform. Like they don't actually care about the Christianity part as long as the second part is kind of, and then it kind of goes into where the world is going. And like, and then that kind of brings me to the second point where they'll ask questions like, um, oh, the enemy. So God wants you to ask questions like, is it righteous? Is it prudent? Is it possible? Whereas the devil wants you to ask questions um, like, is this the way history is going? Is this progressive? Is, am I going with the general movement of our time? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Gerald, what are your thoughts? Um, a lot of kind of what both of you have really said. Um, to kind of piggyback on what Mark was talking about, like uh, it seems like especially especially this day and age, Grant, this was done during World War II, but like you can make the connection now like oh i'm i'm christian oh i'm spiritual oh i'm of this denomination this denomination it seems like if you say the wrong title that kind of lands you in a lot of trouble yeah yeah like it's a great way to divide christians amongst themselves divide and conquer yeah so okay b we had a small discussion about this because Mm -hmm. um Personally, I identify as Catholic, and um, then we had a discussion over what denotes or what makes Catholicism different from just Christian, And but then you also have the other Protestant uh, denominations like Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, right. Episcopalian, and so on and so forth. So it's Aaron. just like, <laughs> yeah, and so it's just like kind of like the way Mark pointed out, what what is the real difference here? Because we're all essentially believing in this, the main, at least the main core tenets. You accept Jesus Christ as to who, you know, sacrificed himself for your sins. And, you know, through acceptance of him as you gain the, you gain the, uh, you gain the keys to heaven or in paradise. But it seems like a lot of the difference is just like, how do you go about doing that? Like with Catholicism, yeah. of course, the big complaint is the veneration of uh mother mary the you know the the one who uh you know who bore who bore jesus christ so i mean in my experience there's a few prayers that are said to her i mean there's we do we do say a few verses in honor of her but i don't feel like there's really that much much else it's not like i think i think some of the i think some of that might be a little bit overblown but that's, yeah, just, my, that's just my two cents on that. No, honestly, I went to a Catholic school for like two years. And when my dad pulled me out of it, that was one of the reasons. And so I've always just kind of like, and it's funny because I was like, because we were talking about God and then you had said something and I was like, well, I thought you weren't Christian. You were Catholic. And you were like, um, is there a difference? And I was like, uh, is like, are you, I like, I was just so taken back because you're like, who cares? Like, who cares what you call yourself? We're all talking about God. And I was like picking it apart and blah blah blah. This is very interesting. Yeah, right. because well, even with even within the Catholic Church, there is there is a divide, mostly older versus newer generation. It's kind of the, it's kind of like there's a there. It's called Vatican One and Vatican Two, and this is something that could be really be its own pillow talk episode later on down the road. But it's kind of like how do how do how do Catholics themselves present, you know, present their interpretation of the Bible or present, you know, their teachings of scripture and whatnot. And it's just like that little difference kind of also creates two, you know, these two separate groups, even within, even within the Catholic church itself. Mm -hmm. Well, like we're all, you know, individually made. So it makes sense that we'd all have our own interpretation. We all have our own experiences and stuff. And, yeah, like I can see why there's so many different kind of branches of the same tree, but ultimately, yeah, I've just got to focus that it is the same tree and maybe not get caught up in the the differences that don't really matter. Yeah. Um, like if it you want to think, think of, sorry, no, you go for it. Oh, I was gonna say it kind of makes me think of this, uh, uh, this meme that I saw a few years ago is just like, uh, yeah, it's like the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with his like conspiracy board or whatnot. And it's like a huge <laughs> like tree branch 
diagram and it's just like he's got a big circle here he's like and this is where we uh learn the truth about our father in heaven and now and we are the ones that have found the right way it's basically kind of throughout history it's kind of boiled down to a lot of that i think yeah yeah for sure like even like if you went back thousands of years like even before the birth of jesus and stuff um to the times of like abraham um there's like the three main or there are three there are multiple religions on the earth, but the three main ones are like Islam, Jewish people, Christianity, and all of them worship the same God. And they kind of still just branch out at different points. Like even Islam, they still believe in Jesus. They have a prophet. Jesus was a real character and all that kind of stuff, but it kind of varies a little bit. But ultimately, we are all still worshiping the same God. Yeah, this one time I was driving with my uncle who was like, I think he went to like Bible college or whatever. And he, he was super into researching all this stuff. And I had asked him, I was like, why is your religion right? And Muslims aren't or Catholicism isn't or whatever. And he did give me a really, really good explanation. I was 14 at the time, so I could never repeat it to you, but it made sense in the time. And I would love to hear that explanation again, but there was some scientific stuff. There was some logic stuff. There was, it was really, really interesting. And yeah, I don't know. Hmm. It's interesting to see how people kind of justify why theirs is right. But at the end of the day, if you take a step back, like, you know. Yeah. I yeah. Well, any other thoughts? Um, I don't know. Um, maybe from the run-on sentences, pretty good. <laughs> Something that uh, kind of speaks to today, really. Oh my goodness, we've been watching some like old school movies and stuff like that. And just the language that they used to use, like a hundred years ago, the language that they used to use and 60 years ago, like we've lost it all. Yeah, I was I was seeing someone that had Law and Order SVU on from 20 years ago. They were saying things that would not fly today. So if that tells you how the times change. Yeah. So sad. Yeah, like a huge showing of the times changing is uh, in the church where you'll find uh, churches that accept LGBTQ groups. And it's just like, well, no, like I know the times are changing, but the Bible and the principles don't. And to change with the times doesn't always mean. Well, shouldn't there be some things that absolutely don't change? That's, that's the, the point. Thing. God yeah. is the rock. He is never changing. He is. What is that omnipotent, omniscient on whatever? Always the same, always. Yeah. Hmm. The beginning and the end, blah, blah, blah. All I know is I would like to have a chat with this God character and get to the bottom of what's what. Oh, man, I can't wait. I really, really hope that if even if I do, like if the whole Pearly Gates thing is there and I get to talk to somebody like I would just love to have a conversation, even if he's like, listen, here's why you were so wrong. You're going to hell forever. I just want to know. I just want to know. I I think there actually is a verse that kind of goes out that goes over that I can't remember the specific verse so don't so don't don't quote me on it but I think there is a verse that actually mentions that where if you you know you'll be you'll meet with him and you can ask him all the questions you want and or they'll <laughs> go over the reason why you're not accepted Perfect. You that should is, find me that verse later. That is nice that uh, we do get that one final conversation. It's not like you die and you just wake up and tell you like, fuck. <laughs> Dang it, where did I go wrong? <laughs> you did not accrue enough points. <laughs> All if, right. If, you've, if y'all have ever seen The Good Place, that is a, that is a very good show. The Good Place? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, it's basically about a group of dead people that have ended up in the in the quote-unquote good place and the explanation behind a lot of that stuff is kind of interesting Ooh, okay you just started something <laughs> you're welcome awesome you want to take over 26 uh me or mark you sorry <laughs> oh uh sure am i indulging in a uh narration voice oh do it please <laughs> <do> <laughs> Only till you lose your mind from doing it. <laughs> All right. Okay. My dear Wormwood. Mm. Yes. 
Okay, straight all face. of the previous episodes, you got to re-record all of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My dear Wormwood, yes, courtship is the time for sowing those seeds, which will grow up ten years later into domestic hatred. The enchantments of unsatisfied desire produces results with which the humans can be made to mistake for the results of charity. Avail yourself of the ambiguity in the word love. Let them think that they have solved the love problems they have, in fact, only waived or postponed under the influence of the enchantment. While it lasts, you have your chance to foment the problem in secret and render them chronic. The grand problem is that of use- unselfishness. Note, once again, the admirable work of our philological arm in substituting the negative unselfishness for the enemy's positive charity. Thanks to this, you can, from the very outset, teach a man to surrender benefits, not that others may be happy in having them, but that they may be unselfish in foregoing them. That is a great point point gained. Another great help, where the parties concerned are male and female, is the divergence of view about unselfishness, which we have built in between the... Hold on. Built in between the sexes. A woman... A woman means by unselfishness, chiefly, taking trouble for others. A man means not giving trouble to others. As a result, a woman who is quite far gone in the enemy's service will make a nuisance of herself on a larger scale than any man except those whom our father has dominated completely. And, conversely, a man who will live long for the enemy's camp before he undertakes as much spontaneous work to please others in a quite ordinary way. as a quite ordinary woman may do every day. Thus, while the woman thinks of doing good offices and the man of respecting other people's rights, each sex, without any obvious unreason, can and does regard the other as radically selfish. On top of these confusions, you can now introduce a few more. The erotic enchantment produces a mutual complacence in which each is really pleased to give to the wishes of the other. They also know that the enemy demands of them a degree of charity, which, if attained, would result in similar actions. You must make them establish as a law for their whole married life that degree, that degree of mutual self-sacrifice, which at present sprouting naturally out of the enchantment, but which, when the enchantment dies away, they will not have charity enough to enable them to perform. They will not see the trap since they are under the double blindness of mistaking sexual excitement for charity and of thinking that the excitement will last. When once a sort of official, legal, or nominal unselfishness has been established as a rule, a rule for keeping of which their emotional resources have died away and their spiritual resources have not yet grown. The most delightful results follow and discuss... Sorry. The most delightful results follow. In discussing any joint action, it becomes obligatory that A that A should argue in favor of B's supposed wishes against his own, while B does the opposite. It is often impossible to find out either party's real wishes. With luck, they end by doing something neither wants. While each feels a glow of self-righteousness and harbors a secret claim to prefer- preferential treatment for the unselfishness shown and a secret grudge against the other for ease with which the sacrifice has been accepted. Later on, you can venture on what may be called the generous conflict illusion. This game is best played with more than two players in a family with grown-up children, for example. Something quite trivial, like having tea in the garden, is proposed. One member takes takes care to make it quite clear, though not in so many words, that he would rather not, but is, of course, prepared to do so out of unselfishness. The others instantly withdraw their proposal, ostensibly through their unselfishness, but really because they don't want to be used as a sort of lay figure on which the first speaker practices petty altruisms. But he's not going to be done out of <clears throat> sorry, but he's not going to be done out of his debauch of unselfishness either. He insists on doing what the others want. They insist on doing they insist on doing what he wants. Passions are roused. Sooner, someone is saying, very well then, I won't have any tea at all. And a real quarrel ensues with bitter resentment on both sides. You see how this is done? If each side has been frankly contending for, the, for its own real wish, they would all kept within the bounds of reason and courtesy. But just because contention 
is reversed and each side is fighting the other side's battle, all the bitterness which really flows from thwarted self-righteousness and obstinacy and the accumulated grudge of the last 10 years is is concealed from them by the nominal or official unselfishness of what they are doing or at least held held to be excused by it. Each side is, indeed, quite alive quite alive to the cheap quality of the adversary's unselfishness and other and of the false positions to which they are trying to force them. But each manages to feel blameless and ill ill used itself with no more dishonesty that comes natural to a human. Whoop. Okay. A sensible human once said, if people know how much ill feeling unselfishness occasions, it would not be so often recommended from the from the pulpits, and again, she's the sort of woman who lives for others. You can always tell the others by their hinted expression. All this can be done even in the period of courtship. A little real selfishness on your patient's part is often of less value in the long run for securing his soul than the first beginnings of that elaborate and self-conscious unselfishness, which may one day blossom into the sort of thing I have described. Some degree of mutual falseness, some surprise that the girl does not always notice just how unselfish he has been can be s- smuggled in already. Cherish these things, and above all, don't let you, the young fools notice, notice them. If they notice them, they will be on the road to discovering that love is not enough, that charity is needed and not yet achieved, and that no external law can supply its place. I wish Sim Trimpet could do something about undermining the young woman's sense of the ridiculous. Your affectionate Uncle Screwtape. All right, so you're giving David Attenborough a run for his money. Um, that's nice. And, n- <laughs> and now we see three people in a podcast together trying to narrate <laughs> British written work. <laughs> Classic. Hilarious. Yeah, this is interesting. I have a couple of thoughts kind of as it goes through. The first one is it literally talks about, yes, courtship. It's the time for sowing seeds. What, which will grow up 10 years into domestic hatred and talks about how like the enchantment, let's call it the honeymoon phase, will let you ignore little things. And then when the honeymoon phase is over, it's like, oh, I actually hate this person and I don't excuse any of their behavior or anything like that. So that's interesting. Yeah, almost like, uh, you know, when you first start dating someone, they have little quirks and you might even like them. You might yeah. find them cute, but eventually you realize they drive you fucking mad. Now, I love when he goes out with his friends all every Friday night and Saturday night. It's so nice that he has all this big circle of friends. And then, yeah, not so much when you've got six kids at home and no husband around. Um, well, there was the one other. No, I've lost it. You guys go. The. I guess this is a sign of the times, but I guess the way they say, or I guess the way he kind of splits it off into a woman by nature does everything for everybody. And a man by nature does tries not to be a bother or a burden. Mm. Um, I mean, I can speak to the man side of things because me personally, I've always tried to be as helpful as possible, but I don't ever want to be quote unquote a burden so usually if i have any issues of my own i have a very very bad habit of bottling that in which of course we are, we know today is not necessarily a good thing mm-hmm. yeah 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 and i'm trying to find that line but you're like girls take on it take it on where is that line where guys hold it in yeah yeah where like i will i mean i have a friend who like is going through stuff and nobody knew for a month because she's trying to protect him and she's trying to love him and forgive him and like just that's just what we do and yeah eventually it kind of eats at you and we'll call it unselfishness or whatever but realistically you're kind of ignoring what you should in the attitude of not being high maintenance or not being selfish or whatever that's very interesting yeah uh I feel like the big thing I got out of this, and we've talked about this before, um, we even read a book about it. If they notice them, they will be on the road of discovering that love is not enough. Um, and I think this is such a big trap. Like, yeah, you can love somebody, uh, but that doesn't mean that you're going to fit. 
Yeah. You know, there there's just so much to a relationship than just love. I'll oh. love him through his problems. Well, yeah, maybe the, maybe you need to look for a guy with a higher character so there is no problems to love through. Yeah. Yeah, no, and yeah, like, it's it comes down to more than just, like, well, obviously love, but, like, do you like the person? Can, are they, do you guys mesh well? Can you guys work in the kitchen together? Can you build Ikea furniture together? Do you forgive at the same level? Do you, like, it, there's just all these things that kind of go into different facets of life that come right back to the relationship and again the relationship is kind of the pillar of your life if you're it's it's everything it's who you come home to it's who you sleep with at night it's who you're eating with it's who you're cooking with and if that isn't a healthy thing then nothing in your life is gonna be I don't know like reflecting of that I guess or it's always going to reflect the unhealthy things that come out of your foundation at home Hmm, yeah Mm mm-hmm And I think it's also important too to kind of like, what are like, be aware of what your flaws are. Like, what are you doing wrong and are you willing to fix it? Yeah. Yeah. I always said when I was like making the list of the guy that I needed, it was less that and more, who am I going to be to that guy? Am I going to be that? And oh yeah, it talked about like how um, a woman that's not healed will be like crazy. And I didn't say that, but like, Mm, where's that word these there's just so many words on this <laughs> um but so be hard to manage and i just think of like i think of the whatever podcast where you've got all these ratchet tramps <laughs> and they're like they're just so <laughs> ratchet tramps. disgusting but they're like <laughs> there's no i don't know that proverbs 30 31 woman there's no humility there's no they're 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 outgoing well they say outgoing but they like yell over everybody and they're swearing and they have to have these huge personalities to kind of hide what is hurting inside and that's kind of why they do it but that core person still is there and it's you know blowing up all right and chapter 27 we'll go to next are you gonna throw in an accent yeah yeah i got one lingering and deep in my do it yeah (laughs) i had to so now you must (laughs) Yeah, I'll try to be consistent through the whole thing. (laughs) My dear Mr. Wormwood, you seem to be doing very little good at present. The use of his love to distract his mind from the enemy is, of course, obvious, but you reveal what poor use you are making of it. When you say the whole question of distraction and the wandering mind has now become one of chief subjects of his prayers, That means, yeah, I can't, but that was fun for a minute. (laughs) That means you have largely failed. When this or any other distraction crosses his mind, you ought to encourage him to thrust it away by sheer willpower and to try to continue the normal prayer as if nothing had happened. Once he accepts the distraction at his present problem and lays that before the enemy and makes it the main theme of his prayers and his endeavors, then so far from doing good, you have done them harm. You have done harm. Anything, even a sin which has the total effect of moving him close up to the enemy, makes him us in the long run, makes him against us in the long run. A promising line is the following. Now that he is in love, a new idea of earthly happiness has arisen in his mind, and hence a new urgency in his purely uh, petitionary prayers. About this war and other such matters, now is the time for raising intellectual difficulties about prayer of that sort. False spirituality is always to be encouraged. On the seeming pious ground that praise and communion with God is the true prayer, humans can often be lured into direct disobedience to the enemy who, in his usual flat, commonplace, uninteresting way, has definitely told them to pray for their daily bread and recovering for the sick of the sick. You will, of course, conceal from him the fact that prayer for daily bread, interpreted in a spiritual sense, is really just as crudely petitionary as it is in any other sense. But since your patient has contracted the terrible habit of obedience, he will probably continue such crude prayers, whatever you do. But you can worry him with a haunting suspicion that the practice is absurd and can have no objective result. Don't forget to use the heads I win, tails you lose argument. If the thing he prays for doesn't happen, then that is one more proof that petitionary prayers don't work. 
If it does happen, he will, of course, be able to see of the physical cause which led up to it, and therefore it would have happened anyways. And thus a granted prayer becomes just as good as proof as a denied one that prayers are ineffective. You, being a spirit, will find it, diff find it difficult to understand how he gets into con this confusion, but you must remember that he takes time for the ultimate reality. He supposes that the enemy, like himself, sees some things at present, remembers others as past, and anticipates other others as future. Or even if he believes that the enemy does not see things that way, yet in his heart of hearts, he regards this as particularly of the enemy's mode of perception. He doesn't really think through, he would say he did, that things as the enemy sees them are things as they are. If you tried to explain to him that men's prayers today are one of the innumerable coordinates with the enemies harmonizing the weather of tomorrow, he would reply that the enemy always knew men were going to make those prayers, and if so, they did not pray freely, but were predestined to do so. And he would add that the weather on a given day can be tra traced back through, it, though it can be traced back through, it causes the original creation of the matter itself. <clears throat> So that the whole thing, both on the human and material side, is given from the word go. What he ought to say, of course, is obvious to us, that the problem of adapting the particular weather to the particular prayers is merely the appearance. At two points in his temporal mode of perception of the total problem of adapting the whole spiritual universe to the whole corporeal universe, that creation in its entirely that creation in its entirely operates at the every point of space and time, or rather that their kind of consciousness forces them to encounter the whole self-consistent creative acts as a series of successive events. Why that creative act, act leaves room for free will is the problem of problems, the secret behind the enemy's nonsense about love. How does it so how it does so is not a problem at all. For the enemy does not foresee the humans making their free contributions in the future, but sees them doing so in his unbound now. And obviously, to watch a man doing something is not to make him do it. It may be replied that some meddlesome human writers, notably Bohemius, have set this secret out, have let the secret out. But in the intellectual climate which we have, at last succeeded in producing throughout, throughout Western Europe, you needn't bother about that. Only the learned read old, only the learned read old books and how and we have now so dealt with the learned that they are of all men at least likely to acquire wisdom by doing so. We have done this by incalculating the historical point of view. The historical point of view, put briefly, means that when he learned man is present, presented with any statement in an ancient author, the one question he never asks is whether it is true. He asks who influenced the ancient writer and how far the statement is consistent with what he said in other books and what phrase in the writer's development or general history of thought it illustrates and how it affects later writers and how often it has been misunderstood specifically by learned men's own colleagues. And what the general course of criticism on it has been for the last 10 years, and what is the present state of the question? To regard the ancient writer as a possible source of knowledge, to anticipate that what he could possibly modify your thoughts on your behavior, this would be rejected as utterly simple-minded. And since we cannot deceive the whole human race all the time, it is most important that, thus to cut every generation off from others. For where learning makes free commerce between the ages, there is always the danger that it that the characteristic errors of one may be corrected by the characteristic truths of another. But thanks to our father and the historical point of view, great scholars are now as little nourished by the past as the most ignorant mechanic who holds that history is bunk. Your affectionate Uncle Screwtape. Wants to go first. Okay, I was <laughs> um the one thing that kind of popped out to me was um the prayer thing where 
like if he doesn't get his prayer, then he's not going to be good about it. When I was younger, we were taught pray, like pray for your arm to grow or pray to like all of these crazy things that didn't always just happen. And obviously being a little kid, I was like, well, I should have gotten that GameCube for my birthday. I prayed about it, blah, 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 blah. But somewhere along the line, I learned that like it's never no. The answer is never, ever, ever no. It's either yes, not yet, or I have something better. And that kind of came to fruition through the breakup because I was supposed to marry this guy. It was everything. And then all of a sudden it ended. And then I kind of sat in that where it's like, okay, it's not, it's, it's either yes, not yet, or I have something better. And obviously that led me to Mark. And then ever since kind of shifting my mentality into that, I've always been, let's go with the flow because it's gonna, like, it's always going to work out for the best if I'm on the right track kind of thing. And I guess it's dependent on whether I'm. Like if you make these stupid decisions, I'm gonna get stupid results, right? Mm. But that's kind of the thing that points or that stood out to me on this one. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think with that prayer, uh, what I kind of liked what he said was uh conceal from him the fact that prayer for daily bread interpreted in a spiritual sense is really just as crudely petitionary as it is in any other sense. But basically, yeah, praying for daily bread, it's like uh he talks about pr- praying for daily bread and praying for healing. And I'm now trying to look at it through that spiritual sense where it's like, yeah, you're not actually praying for food on your table. You're praying for the spiritual food. Like what's actually going to uh, give me the energy to grow spiritually. And a lot of that time it's challenges. Challenges for sure. <laughs> and, and then on the topic of healing, I, you know, originally in my mind, it, it it's physical, but I think, yeah, maybe flip it again to the spiritual thing where, you know, we need to pray for spiritual healing where, you know, people come from broken homes and that will be healed if you pray for it. I guarantee you that will be healed. But if you're praying for like, yeah, your limbs to grow longer, that's not going to happen. Yeah. People taking it literally instead of, I mean, metaphorically. Yeah. Basically <laughs> take out the, take out, take out the, uh, take out the magic of it and just make it all mundane and just plain, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I thought of was it talks about time and this one, we've watched some time movies. We watched tenant the other night and like the whole movie, you're scratching your head. Like, okay, so time works out again. It's like inception, but worse. Yeah. And I kind of just got to remember that I'm not omnipresent. I can't understand the vastness of time. And just because God knows what doesn't happen, it's to him, it's in the unbound now. You know, everything is happening, happened, always happened, always is happening to him. He perceives it a different way where humans, we perceive it as time is moving forward. So like one of my complaints and like gripes is like, you know, if God can see everything happening, he knows the future. Why did he put the tree in the in the garden? Like he knew we were going to eat that from it. But that's not how he sees time. Hmm. You know, he sees time as always and it's kind of it's difficult on our part to try and put this perspective or to think like that because we think very linear. linear. I wake I wake up in the morning, I drink coffee, I go to work, I come back home, I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. But for some for someone as omnipresent, I'm going I'll I'll use watchman terms like uh, Mr. Dr. Manhattan, mm-hmm. he has this ability where he sees every possible future, every possible timeline happening now in the way that, you know, in the way that we would say God is omniscient. So it's just like, how do you, how do you take that thought process and then relate to humanity in a way? Um, and then how do we as humans kind of, how do we try to comprehend that? Essentially? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, will we ever even be capable of comprehending the vastness of time, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you can see some effects of this. Like, I've always said, your mom is not the same mom that your sibling had, because time has happened. It's either, I've okay, I've experienced a firstborn child, now I kind of know what to do with the basics, let's move to the second child. It's just, you've got more experience, you've got more wisdom, you've got more, all of that kind of stuff, and so... Yeah, you're never, even in the last chapter, it talked about seasons and how it's the same four seasons, but you, you, you're you excited when spring comes again, or you're excited when winter comes again, and 
it's because it's different. You've lived another year and you gained more experience and what you did last year, now you know that you did that last year. So you can do it again this year and you can make mm-hmm. it better this year. And especially with the garden, I mean, it's wild. Like next year's garden, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you have any? Um, Kind of a long time thing is especially the last paragraph where he's talking about like cut the generations off from each other Mm. because you know, each generation has it's each generation has its particular quirks and characteristics. Like, you know, you got the boomers who were uh, from like 19 in like the 20 or sorry, the forties and sixties, you know, you got gen X, which would be like our, our parents. And then, you know, gen millennials, (laughs) which would, which would be us. And it's like, we each have had our own experiences as, this whole thing goes on. So, and you know, I, what, I guess what he calls our characteristic truths. So trying to, it's really easy to see like a huge divide in different age groups and how they act, how they think. And especially in the United States where, you know, the big argument, there's a ton of, you know, older folks in Congress now. And then, but how does that, how can I say this? How does that translate? How can they re- how can how can they relate to you know your average average you know 25, 30 year old American and what you know we're we're going through you know something like that? Well, we were even watching the debate last night and they were talking about um, how one of the guys is on TikTok and everybody's like you shouldn't be on TikTok with the kids blah 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 and he's like are you talking to the kids? Are you connecting with them? Like, there's this whole entire younger generation of people that you don't want to connect with. I'm connecting with them through the means that they need connection or that they seek connection. Yeah. And I think it's brilliant on his part. But yeah, it's very interesting, the different generations and how different they are. I Yeah, yeah. I think my final thought on this is... um, he asks who influenced the ancient writer and how far the statement is consistent with what he said in other books and what phase in the writer's development or in general history is of thought. But basically, you know, we are all humans and we not one human knows everything. And a human can be right in one thing and wrong in a completely other thing. And we just got to not throw out the, the baby with the bathwater, as they say, where just because one idea of his is wrong doesn't mean that all ideas are wrong doesn't mean that it's necessarily hypocritical he just might be lacking information yeah it's kind of like that's the whole celebrity worship or when you know the i guess on the talk shows or whatnot where they bring up the experts and it's just like they may be an expert in their chosen field but then they might have a completely different viewpoint on something else that is totally wrong so it's just like Mm. you know i mean you're like I think like there was one story about a guy who was like, he was a really, really smart physicist knows the stuff about anything involving physics and, uh, and whatnot. But he had a completely dumb idea about vitamin intake. Cause it's just like, take all your vitamins, you know, overdo it, overdo it. And of course that led to a bunch of issues. So it's just like, is he a genius or is he a complete idiot? So. Yeah. I just, you know, we focus on different things. We get attracted to different things. Um, I'm an expert in 40k and women, but that's about it. <laughs> okay, okay. Right. Just I'm just joking. Only 40k. I know nothing about women that they just don't want to be around me usually. <laughs> uh, this is some good good reading. I think good reading. Yeah. And we're actually almost done. We've got like four more chapters, I think, before this book is wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. And yeah, so I think there's going to be one more reading and then it's our own chapters. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're listening, you still have some time to submit a chapter of your own screw tape letter if you want. Um, maybe come up with a cool theme that you think humanity is struggling with and try to write it in this style of long, meandering, rambling sentences <laughs> and kind of push your writing ability. Uh, me and B, we chose our topics I already. Do. What's that? Go ahead. Oh, oh, I was that... going to say, I, I do have a joke to kind of to end this all off to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, but yeah, whenever you're done. No, that's all. I'm ready for a joke. Oh, okay. <clears throat> all right. This kind of lines up with, you know, how God perceives time versus how we do. 
So old man, he meets God at the pearly gates and he goes, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. He's just having his daily prayer, talking with God, 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 you know, beam of light comes down, converses the man, man says, God, does a million years seem like a second to you? God says, yes. God, does a million dollars seem like a penny to you? God, of course, says yes. Well, God, can I have a penny? Sure, in just a second. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, God's ways are not our ways. God's time is not our time. And there's literally no way to comprehend it because we are not. Not yet. Uh, cool. Thanks for joining us on this one, Gerald. I'm really excited about this. Um, and I'm excited to hear your chapter uh, when you write it. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna be juicy. Oh, um, if anybody else wants to write a chapter, feel free to uh, email us at pillowtalkwithmarkandb at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, uh, go to Patreon, uh, Pillow Talk with Mark and B, and you can throw us a dollar and we will use that dollar to feed our pets. And there's also a one-time donation link in the description below. So feel free to check that out. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining. 